Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22 is where we're going to be at today. So as you're turning there, i got a question. How many of you would uh, like it if I were to write you a check for, say, I'll pick a small amount, $100 million? Any takers? Okay, we've got a couple, right? Now, Let's just uh, pretend for a moment that uh, I did indeed write you a check for that amount of money, and it was good. It wasn't going to bounce or anything, and, and you cashed it in, and you had all that. And, uh, you know, just think about what would, what would change. You know, your life would probably change. Now, certainly you're all very benevolent people, so you'd get back to, to church and charity and other things like that. But I, I'm pretty confident that your lifestyle would change a little bit, maybe. Right? Maybe uh, your car would change a little bit, maybe. Maybe if you don't have a car, you would then now have a car, or two or three or four. Uh, I, I don't know. Well, it depends on what uh, your likings are. Maybe your house would change. Maybe you would get a different house. Maybe you would change things about your current house, get those renovations underway, change your furniture, whatever the case may be. Things in your life would change. Would you agree? All right. Now, what would happen uh, years down the road for you? Uh, would your attitude be different? Would that change? The question I really want to get to is, would you still be, uh, would you be content? Because many people, you ask, what would it take for you to be content? Well, I've got a few bills here, there, there. If, if I could just this, I would be content. Have you ever thought that question through for yourself? And you've got an answer that if only this, then I would be content? Be honest. I, I've said that, right? If, if I was just at zero, right, and no debt whatsoever, I'd be content. But is that really true? As we're looking here in, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter two, uh, starting in verse eleven. Well, let's back up for a second. Uh, we had our church camp. We had some campers go to Lake Ann this past week, and for our juniors and junior hires, they got to be here at the church for four days. Uh, and we had day camp, and they went through Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So for those students, they kind of got the stage set for today's message, but I need to back up just a second for you folks. If you look at verse 11, it says what word? What does it start with? Therefore. So you know, if you know Bible study, if it says a therefore, we need to look backwards and figure out what that therefore is connecting us to. And if you look at those first 10 verses, really what Paul is sharing here is uh, the gospel, the plan of salvation, how you can uh, be saved. You see in verses 8 and 9, very familiar passage, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Again, he's speaking to the Ephesian believers, reminding them, hey, uh, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not anything that you have done. It is a gift from God, right? And as we go on to verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, and then we get to that second word, remember. Okay, so therefore, remember, uh, in, the, in the way that Paul likes to write his letters, the first half usually he gives a lot of doctrine and information. In the second half of his letters, he gives us the, the practical application of things. And so right now we're in the beginning parts of Ephesians chapter 2, so this is still very much information and doctrine-oriented information. And he's telling the Ephesian believers that he wants them to remember something. Remember, believer, remember, follower of Christ, that at one time, verse 11, you Gentiles in the flesh, 
called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. And he will go on, and I'll keep going on here in a second. Uh, this first point, if you're a note taker, is uh, separation. Paul wants to illustrate to us three things as we go through these 12 verses. And the first part is that we uh, are separated. There's separation that has taken place here. This is what the Gentiles were before salvation. Separation. Secondly, reconciliation. And third, we're going to get to unification. But right now, we're in separation. What the Gentiles were, Paul wants them to remember. Why does he want them to remember? I would suggest to you that... Um, or at least I don't think that you can truly appreciate where you are right now, what you are right now, without remembering what you were, where you were. Right? And, and I think Paul understands this, and he's telling the Gentiles, like we remember from verse 9, so that no one may boast, right? Good job, Joe. So that no one may boast. Okay? Remember where you were appreciate where you were, and then you really can better appreciate where you are now. I asked you the $100 million question, right? Because down the road after that, money has kind of situated itself, and you've kind of gotten accustomed to that uh, more ritzy lifestyle, or whatever the case may be, you're going to find that you're still not content. Why? Because you're, you're looking at where you are now, and you're just not happy. You're not remembering, oh yeah, remember that, that old broken down Honda I used to drive that did get me from point A to point B? I'm not very pleased with this Bentley. Just not comfortable enough. I don't know. Right? Remember where you were helps us to appreciate where we are now, what we have now. You see in verse 11 talks about uh, the Gentile people being called the uncircumcised by the circumcised. This is the Jewish people labeling the Gentiles as uncircumcised. Okay? Uh, this is a physical difference that separated the Jew from the Gentile. We know that the Jewish people were God's what? Chosen people. Right? And, and in the, the Jewish culture, they would uh, get circumcised. That was an outward expression. They had dietary laws and other things that they would do following the law, things that they would do that would kind of, quote, make them followers of Christ. But what Jesus has come to do is to change that. So a couple of things that we're going to see here in these first few verses as far as separation is concerned. The first one is that remember that uh, before you were a follower of Jesus Christ, you were without Christ. You were Christless. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Okay? The Galatia, or excuse me, the uh, Gentile believers were a pagan culture with pagan religions and pagan gods. Romans chapter 9 verses 4 through 5, Paul is speaking of the Jews. He says this, they are Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all. Blessed forever. Amen. It's the Jews, the Jewish people, Israel, that are God's chosen people, and everything is for them, Romans chapter 9. But here we're seeing that there is separation from Christ's salvation for the Gentiles. They are excluded from the life of God. That's what you were 
before Christ. You were Christless. Secondly, you were without citizenship or you were stateless. The verse 12 continues and says, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. See, God built Israel into a nation. Commonwealth is a word that means under God, a nation under God, which if you recite the, the Pledge of Allegiance, isn't one nation under God in there? I don't know if you've recited that in a, in a long time. I know they don't do that in school probably very much anymore. But this country was a nation that was founded under God. It, it's a commonwealth. Israel was a commonwealth, a nation under God. God gave the Jews the laws and the blessings. The Gentiles, you Gentile believer, you were at one time a stateless group of people. Also remember that you were without covenants. One uh, commentator calls that uh, friendless. And strangers to the covenants of promise, Scripture tells us. Gentiles were not part of the covenant people. They were not Jews. God gave Jews covenants through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, and so on. But God made no covenants with any of the Gentile nations. To be separated from the covenants of promise meant that they were missing the covenants that promised the Messiah. They didn't know about there being uh, this rescuer, this Jesus. The passage goes on to say, having no hope and without God in the world. So not only are they without covenant, not only that, but you're also hopeless and godless. Think about that. You're living your life, you are godless, and therefore you are hopeless. Isn't that a wonderful life to live? Mm -mm. I would suggest to you, and as I prepare for this and think about this, man, that just really convicts me to think about what I have now in Christ compared to what I ha once didn't have. Right? If that doesn't make you appreciate what you have in Christ right now, there's a disconnect, I think. Oh, no is right. Gentiles are hopeless and godless. While God did plan to bless all nations through Israel, the Gentiles did not know this. Because they didn't know the promises, they didn't have the hope of the promises. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 23, they opted for idols instead of God. They were suppressing the truth that was revealed to them. Because they didn't know God, they didn't know hope. But thankfully, the passage doesn't stop there. We get to verse 13. Now we're moving into the reconciliation aspect, what God did for the Gentiles. Verse 13 starts with the word, but. But now. Back in verse 4 of chapter 2, said, but God. Both speak to the gracious intervention of God on the behalf of, of you and me, on mankind, on the Gentiles. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It says, you who were once were far off. Again, this is speaking of the Gentiles. You were far off. I have brought you near through Christ Jesus, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Gentile, you were separated from Jews. You were separated because of the law. 
But I have brought you near through the blood of Jesus Christ, and we are no longer under the law, but we're under what, folks? We're under grace now. Again, for by grace you have been saved. Not for by obeying the law you have been saved. Because again, you get into verse 8 and 9, it's nothing that we can do. If we were still under the law, then that puts the focus on you and me and what we can do. And that's not the case here. It's about Christ. It's not about self. Verse 14, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. It says in his flesh. This is Jesus dying a physical death on the cross. This dividing wall, the law was the wall. Also, you, you may know that in the, the temple, there was a wall that actually separated the Jews and the Gentiles. Christ came, verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments. Abolishing, he nullified it, he eliminated it, he, he brought it to an end. We no longer live under the law. We no longer have to follow the Ten Commandments for the expressed reason or purpose of having anything to do with our salvation. We are created uh, from two into one new man. This refers to the church, uh, the new creation. We are now one in Christ, one body of believers, one church. So making peace or unity because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I would suggest to you, friend, that we never have and never will ever have everlasting peace void of an everlasting God. You can try and, and focus on any other individual or, or program or whatever for peace. Put your, your faith in some diplomat that's going to try and create peace amongst nations or uh, groups of people or even, dare I say, unity within our church. Speaking to the piano side and the organ side and this big chasm in between, right? We're not going to have unity as a church, everlasting unity, short or void of having the everlasting God as the focal point. He is the great unifier. We are not. We try and we fail. Hostility between Jews and Gentiles, verses 13 through 15. In verse 16 through 18, we see hostility between God and man. Hostility is kind of a, a focal point in, in this section, or enmity. It's twofold in that we see hostility between each other, Jews, Gentiles. And right now we see the hostility between God and in man, verses 16 through 18, four, uh, excuse me, let's back up. So making peace, 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Reconcile means to bring together again. Or to bring back together. The idea here is that uh, we once had perfect union with God, right? 
We didn't have any need for reconciliation because in the beginning God created all things and he looked at all things, including mankind, and said it was what? More than that. It was very good. As I told the students this week, we were created perfect for two chapters. Right? We had that perfect unity with God. No sin. Nothing but perfection. But chapter 3 worked its way in there, right? And we were separated. That perfect unity was separated. And now there's need for reconciliation to bring back together once what was once already together. So this is taking place so that we could be reconciled. Both to God in one body through the cross. One body, again, the church, the cross. All have sinned. This is necessary, right? The cross is necessary because Romans tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin, what we deserve because of our sin, the penalty of sin is what? Death, eternal separation from God the Father. A physical and spiritual death. Through the cross, reconciliation is possible. Because of Christ living a perfect life on this earth, dying a death that we deserve, paying for sin, dying, and then raising from the dead, conquering death, we now have the ability to be reconciled to the Father. Now get this in verse 17. He came and preached peace to who? To you who are far off. Again, who's the far off? The Gentiles. Came to preach peace to the Gentiles and peace to those who were near. Who's near? The Jewish people were the ones that were near. So if you're tracking with the text here, it's the same peace to both groups of people. This isn't something different. Okay, there's a certain kind of peace for y'all piano folk. And then there's a little bit of a different piece for you organ folk because you're near and you're already a little better than them, right? So it's a different... No, 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 no. The point here is Jew, Gentile, you need the same thing. And it's coming from the same God through the same Son. And the same Holy Spirit is coming to live within you. You are the same. There's no longer division here. Can I get an amen? For through him, we both have access. Salvation is available to all. Thirdly here, we get into the aspect of unification. What Jews and Gentiles now are in Christ. Paul repeated the word one to emphasize the unifying work of Christ. Verse 14, made both one. Verse 15, one new man. Verse 16, one body. Verse 18, one spirit. All spiritual distance and division have been overcome by Christ. In these closing verses of this chapter, Paul gives us three pictures that help illustrate the unification that believing Jews and Gentiles now Enjoy. 
See with me verse 19 right at the beginning. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. We are now one nation, citizens of God's kingdom. Israel, the Jewish people, were God's chosen nation, but they rejected him and therefore were subject to the consequences. The kingdom was taken from them and given to a new nation. This new nation is the church, a chosen generation, a holy nation, a peculiar people, it tells us in 1 Peter. So in this verse it says, so then, if you are truly living as a follower of Jesus Christ today, you must be completely convinced of who you are in Christ. That's what this whole week was for our, our, our church campers. Uh, we went through a, a lesson called Defined, who you are in Christ. What is your identity in Christ? And I'd ask the students at the beginning, who are you? And they'd typically give me their name. You know, I'm Johanna. Right? By the end of the week, we'd ask, who are you? And everybody gave the exact same answer. I am who God says I am. We are one nation. You're no longer strangers or complete foreigners with no rights or privileges whatsoever. Aliens, non-citizens who dwelt in the city and were accorded customary privileges as neighbors. Okay? You're not just passing through here. All right? you're, you're not just uh, uh, you know, walking through with your fanny pack on because you're just a tourist taking pictures. You are now a citizen. Okay, if you've ever been out of the country and you try to get back in, what do they want? They want a passport with your pretty little picture and all the documentation that says that you are an American. And then, oh yeah, come on in. You've got, you've got privileges and, and all sorts of things as a member of this country. Spiritually speaking, we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints. Jew, Gentile, you are fellow citizens. Paul's writing during a time in which Roman citizenship was a very prized thing. Roman citizens had wonderful privileges. Citizenship uh, in a great country is a blessing, but there is nothing like being a citizen of the kingdom of God. Amen. Right? Here we are in America. We, we, we appreciate our country, we, we love our freedom, freedoms, and we remember last week, Fourth of July weekend, and all those kinds of things, but you know what, it's only been like 200 years, and look at our country, we're still kind of struggling a little bit, right? Some might say that America is the greatest nation of all nations, and I would say fat chance. Because I believe that the kingdom of God, that great nation, is far superior to any nation that mere mortals can create here on planet Earth. We are one nation. 19b, the, the last part, says, and members of the household of God. That means that we are members of God's family. One nation, now one family. One might imagine Jews and Gentiles together in one kingdom. Okay, that, that's fine. I can, I can kind of work my brain around that. But to think of them as one family? I, I illustrate it this way. Okay, we, we have Michigan, Michigan State fans. Okay, and somehow we can reconcile the fact that those two can reside within the same state. We can wrap our, our head around that. But one family? Right? 
see Michigan and Michigan State fans on the same campus. All right? Or let's make it worse. Michigan Wolverines and Ohio State Buckeyes. All right? Okay, we have to be in two separate states. All right? So we can understand that we can reside in the same country, but putting them together in the same state, the same family? Oh, yeah. Jew, Gentile, you're not just one nation, you're also one family. We understand family. This is a church family, right? And if you're honest, there are people in this, in this congregation that, that you can say, yeah, we, we can be family. But, it, but if you're honest, you, you, you like to be able to go to your own houses, right? Just imagine, we get done here and we all go back home to the same house. Anybody up for that? We love each other, but we like our space, right? Family reunions, we like that, but we also like it when we get to, to the end of that. And the aunts, uncles, grandma, grandpas, everybody gets to go back to their homes, right? So you think about that, and, and it puts a little bit more into perspective that Jews, Gentiles, okay, you can understand one nation, but you're one family, y'all. How can we be one family? Through faith in Christ, we enter into God's family, and God becomes our Heavenly Father. This wonderful family of God is found in in two places, in heaven and on earth, Ephesians 3.15. Living believers are here on earth, and believers who have died are in heaven. None of God's children are under the earth, Philippians 2.10. If you're a true follower of God, there is no way, no how, that you're going to end anywhere but heaven. We are all brothers and sisters in one family, no matter what racial, national, or physical distinctions we may possess. We've been adopted into the family of God, Galatians 4. And we should treat one another like family, 1 Timothy chapter 5. We should treat each other like family. How do you treat your family? With love, with care, with kindness. And if somebody tries to mess with a member of your family, you're ready to pounce, aren't you? Because you're going to be protective of your family. Look around the room. Christian, fellow believers, family right here. How do we behave and react with family? Do we show love, kindness, grace, the fruit of the Spirit? Is that evident in our household? And when somebody tries to mess with our family, do we defend our family? Lastly, says in verses 20 through 22, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are also one temple. We are stones in God's temple. As we look back over the chapter, we can't help but praise God for what He, in His grace, has done for mankind and for sinners. Through Christ, He has raised us from the dead, seated us on the throne. He has reconciled us and set us into His temple. Neither spiritual death nor spiritual distance can defeat the grace of our merciful and loving God. But He has not only saved us individually, he has also made us a part of his church collectively. Built on the foundation 
of the apostles and prophets. The foundation. This is the word of God. The church stands and the church falls based on its faithfulness to God's word. Luke says the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, Acts chapter 2. That's foundational. What brings you here to church this morning? It's not to to look at my pretty face. Uh Uh-uh. That might have caused you not to come. You came to church, I pray, this day for this right here. I pray that you came to hear God's word preached so that you can conform more to the likeness of his son and what he has to communicate in his word. This is what holds us together. God, through his word, the church stands and falls on it. Christ himself being the cornerstone, the the critical stone in the corner of the foundation that ensures that a stone building is square and stable. You don't want to start in the middle because you're going to get a little bit wonky. You start in the corner so that you can make that perfect 90 degree corner and have a straight line in either direction. There could be no unity or growth in Christ if he is not the cornerstone of our lives. In whom the whole structure being joined together. Christian, we are the temple of God individually and collectively. As a follower of Christ, we belong to the invisible, or excuse me, the visible church. It's not an option. Well, I I haven't filled out the, the membership paperwork and met with the deacons, all right? I'm not talking about the local church for a minute here. I'm saying that as we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we join the church of God, the universal church. Yes, we also need to join our local church, a body of believers. That is true. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, we have joined the universal church. Holy temple. being joined together, grows into a holy temple, a place where God meets with his people in joyful worship and fellowship. Followers of Christ today no longer have to worship in Jerusalem at the temple because Christ came to establish in, or excuse me, establish his new temple in us. You know what that means? That means that, that COVID, or excuse me, COVID, COVID has provided us with an opportunity to really understand this a bit more intimately, all right? How? Because we spent from March 15th until recently doing church at home. You know what? That's possible. You can do church at home in that circumstance because the Holy Spirit is residing within you, right? And you can worship God in that fashion. Now, that's not what God has called us to do long term, right? He wants us to gather together in person, But please hear me when I say that doesn't nullify or make worthless our time in March, April, May. Did you hear me? That doesn't make worthless our time in March, April, and May. Because it's still the same God, same Savior, same Holy Spirit residing within you, the temple of God. You can still worship God. 
I'm going to step on toes for a second. Because I've heard it, and you've heard it too. We're in two services. This just isn't church. We're out in the parking lot. This just isn't church. We're at home watching on a screen. This just isn't church. Can I challenge that and say maybe our definition of church is wrong? Don't ignore the power of the Holy Spirit residing within you, the temple of God. If anything, our time with COVID should be drawing us closer to him and hopefully closer with each other. Summary. Remember, you were once separated. You were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless. That's what you were, Christian. But you've been reconciled to one another and to God. Hostility between you and mankind is no longer there. Hostility between God and man has been fixed. I put it this way. Our relationship between God and man and man and man. What does that form? A cross. And I would suggest to you that we're not going to get this until we get this. What sin divided, Christ united. The cross of Christ, which brought together such incongruent people or different people, can surely be the means of reconciliation for those presently divided by ethnicity, nationality, upbringing, economic status, or any other earthly distinction that wrongly separates us. Okay? We, we've been on the news. We've seen this Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, uh, pro-choice Uh, All these different things that separate us. Remember with me, if you will, a Sunday school song. Red and yellow, black and white. What's the rest? They are precious in His sight. It doesn't matter. God has broken any division. Our former position... Without Christ. Our new position, we are in Christ. Our former position, without citizenship, now a holy nation. Without covenant, now we're no longer strangers. Without hope, we have hope. Without God, we are adopted by God. He is now your daddy. Happy Father's Day. Wow. This leads us to two practical applications as we close. First, have you personally experienced the grace of God? Are you spiritually dead? Are you distant from God? Or have you trusted Christ and received the eternal life that only He can give? If you're not sure of your spiritual position, I urge you to turn to Christ by faith and trust in Him today. Like the nation of Israel, you may have been given many spiritual privileges only to reject God who gave them to you. Or like the Gentiles, you may have turned away from God and lived deliberately in sin and disobedience. In either case, there is no difference, for all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. There can be only one response. Call on Christ today, and you can be saved. Secondly, if you are a true follower of Jesus Christ here this morning, are you helping others to trust in Him? 
You've been raised from the dead. Do you walk in newness of life, Romans 6? Do you share the good news of eternal life with other people? Okay, There's no longer hostility between you and God anymore, but are you spreading that good news, the peace of God with those who are still fighting? If you see a fight breaking out, hopefully you want to go and break it up. There is a spiritual fight going on between fallen individuals, those who have not accepted Christ, and God, there's a a battle going on there. Because before Christ, you're enemies of God. Are you going to come and try to break that up and bring some peace? We talked about the armor of God with our students this week. Fasten on the shoes of the, or the, the sandals of the gospel of peace, right? Being prepared and ready. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Generally, you hear that around Christmas time. We're pulling it out for today. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Now you have that great news, that good news of great joy. It's for all people. We need to go out and share that with all those that we come in contact with. Not just the people that you like. Not just the people that you think are going to respond well. All people. Because Jesus came to serve and to save. We need to follow his example. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time that we've had to open your word and hear from you. God, I pray that everyone here can see beyond me, beyond my voice, and hear the truths that you have to communicate to us. God, help us to remember For the believer here today, help us to remember what we once were, what we were without. Ultimately, we were without you. We were without hope. And as we remember that, to appreciate what we have now in you and to live a grateful and thankful life because of the reconciliation that you brought through your son, Jesus. Help that fuel our unification. Because we are one body. We are one nation, one family, one temple. Help us to live that out this week, I pray. In your name, amen.